Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hnistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Isabel Oriol Bastos. Isabel is the COO and the Head of Business Development at Arda Impacto, the fintech startup. Isabel has 10 years in the social impact sector. She started her career in Brazil and Chile, working at the UN and social startups. After studying a master's in international development at the London School of Economics, she founded Animar Soluciones, a consultancy for social entrepreneurs from which she spent five years actively involved in the microfinance sector in Latin America. At ARDA, women at the bottom of the pyramid get control over their microcredit. They do this via an AI chatbot via WhatsApp. Arda Impacto launched in Mexico this year and aimed to expand across Latin America. Arda recently won the Women's World Banking Organization's Female Founder Fintech Innovator Prize. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about female entrepreneurship, social impact startups, the female-founded Arda Impacto, of course, engaging with micro-lending institutions in the emerging markets, why providing financial education and emotional support to women around their finances is important. And to finish up, Isabel shares a message to investors who are new to social impact startups or indeed to gender lens investing. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Isabel, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, before we get into it, I'm really interested to know what initially drew you to entrepreneurship and how did you decide to set up a company? Well, I think finishing my undergrad, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I did know something. And that was that I wanted to be part of somehow of, of the end of extreme poverty. I could see the world was getting better every day and that technology was playing a huge part of that. So I went on to explore like different options, looking for the most efficient way to do this. So finishing university, I moved to Brazil and I started working at a corporation at Social Corporate Responsibility. So I got to see the lens of what the corporate world can do for social impact. And I then moved to Chile and had the opportunity to work at FAO, so the UN. And this gave me a super different angle, right, of how to tackle the same mission from a different perspective. And I also collaborated along the years with different NGOs, etc. However, it was when I learned about the microfinance world that for me, I thought, this is it. What I got to see was that people at the bottom of the pyramid need access to financial products in order to put into practice their own abilities, right? So I, I saw that it was vital for progress. Uh, so it's actually funny that I entered the financial world. Like I never thought I would be building something within the fintech world. It was really social impact that brought me close to the financial world. But yeah, so really I had the chance to work closely with a microfinance entity for five years. And through this, I learned about the circumstances and the needs of 
borrowers on the one hand, so women in this case, in the informal economy, and on the other hand, the circumstances and needs of the financial entities themselves. So I got to see how on the one hand, women were lacking visibility and support over their loans, but at the same time, on the other hand, entities were working in a very inefficient way and they were spending way too much. So again, going back to the point on technology, we saw how with technology, we would be able to bridge this gap and offer like a win-win solution for both. And every day we see how we can start bridging these gaps more in any other industry, right? Or, or world problems. So yeah, we saw the opportunity and we just went for it and we launched ADA. <laughs> That's fantastic. And choosing your co-founder, right, is probably the most important decision that you need to make. It's certainly not a decision you take lightly. Mm. So I'm really interested to know how you arrived at the decision that you and Alexa would essentially start Arda Impacto together. So really, it was a bit of a leap of faith <laughs> in the sense that we didn't know each other. Alexa and I, we met maybe a year and a half ago and she got in touch with us because of the microfinance entity that I was talking about that I was really involved a few years ago. And from my side, like I, I bet Alexa has her own opinion, but I'm not really a planner. Like I really trust in my instincts and that on one side and on the other side, I'd always heard about the obstacles or like challenges of starting companies with close friends, etc. So the main thing that made us, I think, just go for it was that we complement each other super well in the sense that I was bringing the background in social impact and Alexa has a very technological and product and design background that I that I needed in order to make this happen. And she was at a time in her life that she wanted to put everything that she had learned in the past in a project that would help women around the world. So I would say that on one hand, we complemented each other a lot. On the other hand, we also, even though we didn't know each other before, we shared a lot of things. Like we could see that we worked in similar ways. We both did innovation consultancy. So in terms of a day-to-day, -day, we also saw that, that we were complementing each other a lot. On my behalf, I didn't really think about it too much. I just felt good with it and we went for it and it couldn't have gone better, actually. It's amazing how much we've done in such little time. So we're very happy with it. That's fantastic. So your intuition definitely paid off there. Yes. <laughs> so your startup is aimed at women. It's led and designed by women. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why this is significant and feel free to share any data or metrics that come to mind? So a few numbers here. So 1 billion women remain unbanked in the world. There's also obviously uh, men that are unbanked and, and it's another issue that, that also needs solving. But women have less access, let's say, to economic, financial and, and even employment opportunities, right? But having said that, what's funny is that women statistically repay better than men and have a larger social impact. So the statistic is that 80% of the money they make through their business, women invested in children's health and education. 
So yes, so starting a business aimed at women nowadays really means that if you're looking for profitability as well as social impact, it makes total sense, right? And in our case, microfinance seemed like like a great opportunity. And I guess that is why it's a big part in impact investment lens nowadays. Now, why start a mission-led startup or a startup with social impact in fintech? And I'm also interested to know how you measure social impact. I started a mission-led startup. So as I was saying before, technology is giving us a huge opportunity, bigger than, than ever before, in order to end, let's say, world problems, right? Even faster. And something that really inspires me every day about humans in general, and no matter what we hear in the news, is that every day the world is a better place. COVID or natural disasters, obviously, aside, but in terms, for instance, of extreme poverty, like we come from a spot where in the 1900s, 90% of the population lived in extreme poverty. And in 1990, if I'm not wrong, it was 45% of the population. And before COVID, we even reached 80%. And this is true with extreme poverty, it's true with literacy, with access to sanitation, to water, etc. So it really is a matter of time until we end extreme poverty, right? And we'll be able to focus on, on the next big problem. But seeing all of this, I really felt like I had no other choice but being part of that, because if we're reaching closely to it, and especially taking into consideration that, that we live in the times of the internet, of smartphones, of WhatsApp, that it's a big part of our business where we can connect for free with anyone that lives in the middle of the Amazon, let's say. So being aware of how technology and social impact go so much hand in hand, I really see no other way of starting a business without being a mission-led business nowadays, for me, obviously. And how do we measure social impact? Well, we, we do this through WhatsApp also. So as I was saying, WhatsApp is, is a big part of our business and it allows us to connect directly with the borrower of the financial institution we build a connection with them and it is through WhatsApp where we allow them to answer a specific set of questions and variables themselves. Amazing. A lot of investors wrongly assume that if your business is mission-led or your startup has social impact, that you make lower returns or no returns at all. I think the landscape is changing. I think investors are waking up to every business essentially is becoming an impact business to some degree, however you define that, or certainly needs to be given the world that we live in today. But I'm really interested in your take on this. So first of all, I must say that I understand the fact that many investors still don't see this because traditionally social impact has always been connected to the nonprofit sector. So we're still living the consequences of, of that association, right? And I guess to these investors, like I've come to learn a few things about like the benefits of profitable models with social impact. And if I had to state the main three learnings, first of all, the most beautiful thing for me in my career has been realizing the following thing that 
there is a difference between offering a donation to someone in a vulnerable situation, building a business relationship with that same person. So with a donation, you are sending a message of pity, a message of you need my help and poor you, and here's something that I'm offering for free for you, right? And once you stop making that donation, nothing has really changed. Once you go, they go back to the same situation because they were somehow used to that donation, right? With the business relationship, you're sending a business message to that same person who's also in a vulnerable situation. In the microfinance world, for instance, in order to make it more practical and, and not so theoretical, you're saying, hey, so, so I'm lending you money, which will help you, obviously, but I'm expecting a return, which will help me. And I've seen many times how this has a reaction in these same women that many times were used to receiving donations, which is a sudden thought of like, what? You need my help? Like I'm worth you doing business with me, right? So this reaction is, is truly powerful because not only you're generating profit out of this business, but you're also contributing to what really would be, in my opinion, the most famous word in the past few years, that is empowerment, right? And again, on the other hand, if you stop lending money, as this person has had to build a self-sufficient model in order to repay each loan, even if you stop lending, they will be better off than where you started, right? So this is a key learning that I had when starting to see social impact and profitability go hand by hand. Something that I'm also seeing is that social impact companies, we're facing a really big challenge right now. And that is to demonstrate that we can be as profitable and why not even more profitable than traditional investments, right? And I guess track record will convince all investors to start seeing impact as an alternative option to all other investments. But from my perspective, business models should align social impact and profitability so that you don't have to decide between one or the other, but that the more profitable you are, the more social impact you generate. Uh, and this way, economic growth always means better results for everyone, right? And lastly, something that I've seen in the last few years where we've sat with a lot of investors is that investors obviously invest for profitability, but not only for profitability, like investors are there because they enjoy the right the right and the journey, right? So I would even dare say that we humans enter different projects because of that. Like we love the experience, the emotions it makes us feel. So I believe it, it's also this journey and this um, story when entering a, a social impact business that really calls attention to investors. So yes, yeah, so I would just also stick to it. It's profitability, social impact, but also a journey to live with the companies that you've invested in. So it's a long-term investment and, and you've got that longer-term horizon and therefore you're asking investors for patient capital in inverted commas. I think so much of this also has to do with changing perceptions and definitions and words and associations. And we should be looking at the impact that every single business has. And, and that is one of the reasons why, for example, slightly off topic, but you know, climate change innovation yeah. is front and center right now. And if we had thought a lot more carefully about the impact of 
the investments we made in certain companies, their social or environmental impact, we potentially wouldn't be in the dire times that we are in today from an environment perspective. I think it's, again, the, the journey that will make themselves have patience, (laughs) basically. So making them part of everything, right? Not only of the numbers, but of the stories behind the numbers. Yes, absolutely. Now, I want to move on to talking about the market specifically and the company and the product that you've designed and built with Alexa. For context, just so listeners really understand the market that you're in, can you talk us a little bit about it? So what is the market that you're going after from a tech point of view and also regionally? How big is it? You know, how much growth do you see there and why? And then as an aside, obviously you're focusing on an emerging market. What's that like? So really, we're focusing in Latin America where... 75% of women in Latin America work in the informal economy and they don't have access to traditional banking products. And these women, in order to access a kind of financial product, they get close to lenders that offer this microloan, right? This microcredit. In terms of Latin America, where we're starting, we're actually starting in Mexico, but there are 40 million women in Latin America with microcredits and around 500 lenders that offer this microcredit. So we're talking about a market of $10 billion being offered in microloans, right? And that's, let's say, our specific market. But a very sounding statistic is that in the microfinance world, lenders have only reached 20% of the unbanked. So there's still... 80% of the unbanked population in the world that are looking and waiting for a more appropriate product for them. So the opportunity really is huge here. These numbers would show how big it is right now. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the growth and the opportunity here, so for instance, within Latin America, Mexico is a country with the biggest fintechs. The fintech movement is huge. And currently the fintech movement are really facing a formal economy. They're still not looking at the informal economy because the the funny thing here is that no one really has data or knows what's going on in these informal little businesses. So the growth that we imagine here is that all industry, let's say, are trying to, and when I say all industries, I don't mean only the financial industry, but the healthcare or insurance industry, they realize that, as I was saying before, most of the population lives in the informal economies, but their products are really arranged for the formal economies where they have data on us, they know us better than we know ourselves, but they don't really know how to adapt the products and services that we're used to for the population that lives in the informal economy, where, for instance, cash is the day-to-day, right? So something that we see is that even though we're starting with financial products and making it better for women and adapting the product that they have access to today, adapting it in order to make it better for her and for the institution, we see that this can grow with all other industries. So why not start offering products and services that we're used to today in our day-to-day lives 
to this segment that really has access to nothing really because more and more they're having access to smartphones. So for instance, in Mexico, I think right now it's 75% of the population that has access to a smartphone, but that doesn't mean that they're transactioning online, right? So really there's a huge opportunity to start offering them new products and services adapted to their context, to their behaviors. And that's what we are aiming to do at ADA, being that bridge that accompanies and adapts the product to what this segment needs. Let's say that the problem or the problems that we're trying to solve is that on the one hand, lenders of the informal economy are very inefficient businesses. So they spend 80% of everything that they lend in operational costs, 80%. So this makes them offer products that are very inconvenient, that result in very high interest rates and that don't provide a good service to their customers. And on the other hand, we see how women in informal economies that, that are getting these microloans struggle to manage their microcredit, where over 70% of these borrowers have said that they want and feel that the product is not adapted to their needs. There's a lot of fraud and corruption. There's little education and, and information around the microcredit little visibility into the terms of the credit and little support or no support at all. So what we do at ADA is that we help her take control of her microcredit through an AI chatbot via WhatsApp. And through this chatbot, she can apply, receive and repay her loan while partaking in, in a mentorship program for her business. This mentorship program is very data-driven and follows a methodology that we've been constructing over the past few months and that have taken us to where we are right now. So we launched in Mexico in May of this year with our better product, and we already have clients, revenue, and a few strategic partnerships. As I said, we launched in May 2021. We have paying clients, but we also have eight pilots going on right now that will introduce hopefully into paying customers. And this strategic partnership is ProDesarrollo, which is the network of microfinance entities in Mexico. So it's a huge opportunity for us. And something great that has happened also in the past few months is that we won Women's World Banking Female Founders Prize. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> it's really been great because it's it's given us a lot of help in connecting with potential clients, investors. It's helping us tell the story of what we're doing. So we're super happy with that. We're B2B to C in the sense that our direct client are these financial institutions who pay a license per month per user. But our solution is actually used by their clients, who are these women that have access to the chatbot and the end-to-end -end process of the credit through their WhatsApp. Perfect. And how was it to begin the initial conversation with some of these B2B micro lenders in an emerging market like Mexico? I imagine it's not straightforward. Well, the thing is, we've entered a very... I'm going to say like old school market in the sense that we're really competing with employees that work with notebooks and pens and that have been doing this for ages and ages, right? So they haven't been digitizing for the past few years or past few decades. They've been very comfortable 
And one good thing that comes out of the pandemic is this increased urgency in digitizing even more, right? So we entered in a point where entities could see on the one hand that their client was digitizing. So as I said before, 75% of the population in Mexico has access to a smartphone. And once you start having access to a smartphone, your expectations and your requirements start to change. Right now, there's not an equilibrium between these financial entities and the state of life of their clients. So as I was saying, it's a very old school market and they've been very comfortable, but they've realized that they have to change and that if they don't start adapting to new technologies, they will die. So with all the bad news and, and terrific stories that the pandemic has brought to us, at least it has given us the time and moment in order to start making these products better, right, through, through technology. Now, I want to talk briefly about why providing financial education and emotional support to women around their finances is important, mm -hmm. especially, it's important generally but especially in the emerging markets. And you provide this virtual financial companion as part of your solution. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So there's two parts to this. We've reached a point where financial inclusion and the financial gap is obviously very, is crucial uh, to progress. And we've been talking about this for many years, but it's merging with the digital gap. So the funny thing is, that even though our segment has access to a smartphone, as I was saying before, they don't have a, a behavior of downloading apps and buying online and checking references online or et cetera, et cetera, right? So the fact that we are reaching her through WhatsApp is a huge opportunity because for instance, in Latin America, WhatsApp comes already downloaded in a phone when you're using it. So that's why in Latin America, over 80% of what happens in mobile phones happens through WhatsApp. So it's funny because we're reaching her in a digital way, but in order to give her this financial education through this digital channel, we also need to accompany her through this digital transformation. And that's where what we call the digital mentors come in. So what we've done is building trust through WhatsApp was our biggest challenge because without seeing someone, it's really difficult to create a connection where you can build from there, right? So what we did is we've actually employed women from the very same context and backgrounds in order to create these relationships with borrowers through WhatsApp. So these women that are digital mentors, they understand perfectly what borrowers are feeling because either their moms or their cousins or someone really close to them have active loans with microfinance entities. And so they know the struggles. They speak the same language, let's say. So what we do is we recruit this group of digital mentors. We offer them the financial education and the digital upskilling that they need to learn before teaching it to borrowers. So we do, let's say, like a teach the teachers kind of program. And lastly, we're capable to offer this emotional support because these digital mentors have children of their own. Most of them have very small children and they thought that they weren't going to be able to get work elsewhere because they're taking care of their children. And it's 
something very similar to what happens to these women that have small businesses and are trying to offer a bigger opportunity and a bigger life to their children, right? So it's something very beautiful that goes on and it, it, and it works on these three layers, right? So building trust and, and emotional support and understanding that I understand you, but coming from the digital mentor and then upskilling you in digital and financial abilities, especially because if you don't build trust, they won't be interested in trying new digital solutions because we're talking about a segment that has been working and living with cash for ages. And so many times they think that they don't need these new digital solutions, right? So again, it's this whole methodology of mentorship that we've been building throughout the past few years whose building blocks are these three phases and that more and more we're realizing is let's say like our secret sauce in the sense that we see more and more digital solutions that are offering new products and new services but it is this companionship and this trust built through whatsapp that for us is making the difference mm. it's incredibly powerful isabel as you were talking there i was visualizing the social impact that your business has. You're creating social impact, obviously for the end user, these women who need access to microfinance. You've built a digital solution that is helping these microlending institutions be innovative. And what you've explained here is you're helping to close the digital skills gap by providing employment in your startup, which is a digital technology startup. So these women who are yeah. providing financial support and companionship via your WhatsApp solution are being upskilled. And so the, the impact and the compounding effect is massive. We are super happy, especially because this, the social impact within the digital mentors, really, it wasn't planned. It was a strategic decision. And with time, we saw that, for instance, over half of our digital mentors had to open an account in order to receive their first paycheck from ADA. And we're giving them laptops. They can work from home. So it's super practical for them. And they're using uh, digital platforms that really make them a lot more employable for the future. Every day they work with Intercom, which is this customer's attention platform where they basically talk with over 400, 500 borrowers at the same time, managing them through this Intercom digital platform. So yeah, we're super proud. And also it's their first ever formal employment. And again, they have kids themselves. So for the first year, they can plan for the future, they can start saving money. So yeah, so it's it's something that came out of a strategic decision and it's ended up being our favorite thing about ADA. <laughs> and what would these women be doing if they weren't working for ADA? Well, most of them say that they really thought they weren't going to be able to work again, at least for the next 10 or so years, where especially through the pandemic, because we hired them at the beginning of the pandemic or meet the pandemic. And with schools closed, they had their children at home every single day, the whole day, right? So the freedom there to start having a proper job outside your house was even less probable. Now. If you were to look further ahead, say five to 10 years or more, 
from now, what does success ultimately look like for you, for Ada Impacto? I would say it might be threefolded. So on the one hand, we would love through our solution to reach, so in Mexico, where we've launched, we're talking about 70% of the population being unbanked. So it's, it's crazy because over a hundred financial institutions are really fighting for the same portion of the, of the pie, right? So it would be a huge success to be part of the bridge that reaches the unreached to date. On the other hand, managing to decrease this over indebtedness, so improving the management of the finances of the borrowers and really seeing that the microcredit is really having a positive effect on their lives. And lastly, we really believe that by making the financial ecosystem more efficient, we may allow and facilitate for institutions to lower their interest rates. One of the main reasons why we launched in Mexico is because their interest rates are one of the highest um, in the world. And when we saw that they were spending 80% of every loan in operational costs, we saw the big opportunity of making them more efficient in order to facilitate this decrease in interest rates. So this final thing I think would be super success for us. It's ambitious. We love it. Now, there are only 7% of female global fintech founders. What message do you have for female founders in fintech who are just at the start of their journey, or maybe they're thinking about starting a business in fintech? So I would say this is something that, that I've learned myself to avoid trying to fit into a defined model of leadership, because again, this typical characteristics of a leader that have ruled for the past decades are not valid anymore, right? They are valid, but also other ways of, of leading are super valid. So for me, the most important learning I've learned by being a founder or being involved in the different projects that I have been in the past is that you need to trust yourself and you need to be super happy with yourself in order to excel at being oneself, right? I would tell them just really to be happy in their own shoes and, and go for it. And especially right now that we're hopefully leaving the peaks of the pandemic behind us, they've emerged so many opportunities and many of them can be solved with a fintech solution. So I would tell them to not doubt any minute and go for it. That's wonderful advice. And just to echo that, it's so important to know that you can be yourself. And as female founders, we don't need to emulate the stereotypical male leadership model. It is one example of leadership. We require new forms of leadership now. This is why we need more women leading. We need more female founders, especially in industries that are still dominated by men because they exhibit a certain type of leadership. And I think we're seeing that we really need a very different way of leading. And there are so many different markets, types of consumers, they have different preferences and we need different types of leaders who can empathize and develop products and services for those consumers, which is exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, just to finish off, and you've shared so much today, Isabel, what would be your message to investors who are new to investing in social impact? 
startups and or they might be new to gender lens investing. We haven't used that term yet, but this is essentially what we are talking about. How do they need to adjust their mindset? How do they get up to speed, I guess, in what's required to see this as, you know, a smart investment? I would say two things. Um, Firstly, that the time is now for everything that we've been talking about and the, the huge opportunity that we have now more than ever to solve social problems through technology. So I would make them feel this urgency to be part of it. And secondly, as we were talking before, just to enjoy the journey and to be patient, right? Because more and more, we're demonstrating that social impact and profitability can go hand in hand. So I'm sure they would want to be part of it, I'd say, earlier adopters than when social impact has really been proven or or we've solved almost most of of the challenges that we're facing, right? So the time is now and enjoy the journey. That's wonderful, wonderful advice. Well, Isabel, thank you for your time. I will be tracking ADA Impacto very closely. I'm sure many people will as well, many investors, many future investors. What a wonderful startup and congratulations on all your success and your traction to date. And I have no doubt we'll be in touch again. And I hope that we will also be able to meet in person one day too. Thank you so, so much really for the lovely conversation. And yes, I hope we get to meet properly. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse, or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.